Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another special edition of the Nerdcast. I'm Scott Bland, your host. And you're listening to the third episode of a special daily series we're doing ahead of Thursday's Democratic presidential debate, co-hosted by PBS NewsHour and Politico. Today, we're catching up with Playbook co-author Anna Palmer. I am here to do a couple of events around the debate as well as uh, actually go to the debate. With a packed schedule. (laughs) And then doing playbook too, you know, just keeping it real here. But yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be a fun next couple of days. And now that they've got the labor dispute figured out, we're uh, cooking with gas. So where are you recording from right now? In my lovely room in the Marriott, which overlooks a parking lot, but actually has palm trees. So that's kind of nice to have something to look at while we write playbook in the morning very early here. How's playbook on Pacific time treating you? (laughs) Uh, It's always a challenge, but this time is a little different than normal because Jake stayed back in D.C. given all the impeachment and government funding stuff. So we have a little bit of relief rather than both of us being on West Coast time. It gets uh, a little insane. So I, I want to get into three questions leading up to the debate that uh, I feel like you know, you from your vantage point with Playbook are, are particularly uh, well qualified to I- explain for all of us. So first of all, obviously, we've got the debate Thursday. Before that happens, we're going to have an impeachment vote in the House. And I, I'm curious, you know, you've been covering this really closely with your co-author, Jake Sherman. I'm curious how you guys see this I- impeachment developing and how you think it is going to affect the debate on Thursday between these Democratic contenders. Yeah, it's interesting to think about because what we've been really focused on is the minutiae in the House of where do some of these vulnerable Democrats, these 31 Democrats who won in Trump districts, and where are they going to go? And what we've seen so far is the vast majority have said that they are going to support impeachment. I think that's going to be bolstered here on the stage in L.A., where you've had most of the members, uh, if not all of them, of the, you know the, that are running for president on the Democratic side have, uh, have called for impeachment or or more. And so I think this will just be a vindication of that fact for a lot of the people on the stage. That's a good point. It could turn into a bit of a rallying moment for the party um, after after watching a, a number of these vulnerable members stick with the, the impeachment effort. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things is going to be is, you know, yes, they voted for impeachment, but you're going to have Bernie Sanders, you have Amy Klobuchar, you have Elizabeth Warren, who are senators who are now going to be in the Senate trial and are going to be, in fact, basically jurors. And so I think how they are looking at this and how they articulate where they stand on impeachment, uh, you know, if they feel like, you know, this is going to be a five-week trial, it's going to take them away from the, the trail. So I think that's something also to look at. Where How did they pivot to their role as jurors in the Senate? Yeah, that's a great point. So, you know, an, another question that uh, I've, I've been kind of curious about is your view on on the, the D.C. 
angle of this campaign. And I mean by that, obviously, we we spend a lot of time tracking these candidates uh, on the trail in Iowa and New Hampshire, going off to, to L.A. And, and elsewhere for debates. But but I'm curious your perspective on especially the four front runners in the Democratic primary, uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, and their relationships in D.C. and kind of where where those campaigns stand on that front right now. It's, you know, obviously they're, they're stumping for votes in, in the early states and that's what matters most, especially in, in the current era. But they, they each have a, a very different appeal and approach when it comes to already courting Congress and the other kind of levers of power here. Yeah, I think as much as all of these candidates want to stay away from their ties to Washington, the swampiness of it all, the the influencers, the insiders, they each have their own brain trust. And as you say, yes, of course, the votes matter in those key states that are going to be the early voting states. But there's also a lot to be learned about how they are courting their Washington audience, because those are really the influencers, though that is kind of they get into the political zeitgeist of reporters and the lifeblood of kind of the viability of these campaigns. And so you have obviously Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, two, uh, you know, members of Congress who like to kind of put themselves as being outsiders, that they're not from Washington, that they're there to change things. But they do have former staff that have stayed in town. They have advisors like that. Joe Biden clearly has the largest um, kind of network of Washington, Washington insiders who support him either publicly, privately, behind the scenes. And then you have Pete Buttigieg, when, when, which is kind of interesting on his this front because, you know, obviously, may, you know, a mayor of Indiana, uh, not really well known, but, you know, certainly Liz Smith and others on his team have introduced him to folks in Washington. He's had meetings uh, at different firms where it's kind of a get to know you. He wants advice from different different people. And so I think even the fact that he knows that he needs that just is a signal that while people don't like to talk about Washington or, you know, that they've gone Washington, they all still are looking to Washington for advice, fundraising help, etc. Like you said, Sanders and Warren, they maybe don't have the traditional power base you would think of as as senators coming out because of of where their politics are compared to uh, the rest of the Democratic caucus and in, in, in the Senate and, and the House for that matter. Uh, but they do have this this kind of stable of of power players who have come through their their political campaigns and their lives. And meanwhile, of course, you know Biden's been around forever, but a lot of his relationships are kind of a generation old in in some ways. I'm always struck when I see the the press releases from the Biden campaign and the, Biden endorsed by former dot dot dot. There's a lot of those that that come through. You know, former congressmen, governors, what what have you. Yeah, I mean, certainly Joe Biden has a long standing relationship with you know members of Congress and former governors and all kinds of you know folks. That have been in the political world for decades, but I do think it's it's worth noting that he also has maintained some support among the Barack Obama kind of organizers and operatives that still retain a lot of power and sway within the Democratic Party. So yes, he's got that kind of older generation on lock, but he I think they've also worked to get some of the Obama era folks on board as well. Uh, the the third and, and final question I wanted to, to cover with you, you spent a lot of time covering money and influence in Washington. And I'm curious what you make of the way that fundraising has become a litmus test in this primary, especially, you know, we're just talking about the different kind of organizations and networks that, that 
the, the four Democratic frontrunners especially have in Washington, you know, it's partially reflected in, in how they raise money, right? And you've got Sanders and Warren going all online and, uh, the, you know, the other two doing doing something a little more traditional uh, or, or blended, I should say. But it's, it's interesting to me that this has become not just a campaign tactic, but an actual campaign issue <laughs> between the candidates. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think money as a litmus test for viability is something that's been around for a long time. I think the real difference that we're seeing here is what you were noting, which is the kind of concept of purity of how you're getting money, where you're getting money from, right? I mean, I remember kind of in pre-Obama, I covered money and politics and lobbying, and lobbyists cutting checks to presidential candidates was just kind of a matter of course. Now, of course, none of these campaigns are taking money from, you know, federally registered lobbyists. But at the end of the day, and I think you're, that's what you're kind of seeing, this frustration that Pete Buttigieg has um, kind of voiced, which is, you know, to be viable, you're going to have to raise money. And not everybody has the online kind of largesse that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders do. I mean, even just I was looking this up today when thinking about this conversation that, you know, Pete Buttigieg is doing two fundraisers Tuesday uh, in Hollywood. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, not in the top, but, but you know, still running. And she has a big fundraiser today uh, with UTA's Jay Soares. So there's definitely a fight for these kind of well-heeled donors because at the end of the day, you know, they're going to need this money to continue to be viable in Iowa, be viable in New Hampshire and South Carolina. And so the, the fight's happening in public where we haven't seen before. Yeah. And it's fascinating, this purity contest, especially between Warren and Buddha judge lately, and it, and it's interesting because, as you note, like the, this, the traditional fundraising with you know wealthy individuals uh, is is necessary for a lot of candidates to uh, to be able to to compete, and yet you, more and more you get. Candidates like Sanders and Warren, Buttigieg has actually raised a lot of money online, even though he does continue to uh, to fundraise uh, in in person as well. But especially we saw in the last election, I feel like the power of the online fundraising is just growing so rapidly that it, at at some point you get people making this argument that actually you can raise more money by swearing off the old traditional money, and I th- I think that's like a, a, it's fascinating tactically. It's fascinating, if a little weird, to to see it actually become an issue that that people are asking voters to pay attention to and vote on, however far down the list it it might be in their you know issue set. Yeah, I mean, I think money and politics as a bad thing has been a, a rallying cry for Democrats for a long time, right? All of the Democrats are supporting a mandatory public financing, for example, which would take a constitutional amendment, which is very unlikely to happen. But so I think that that is kind of part of what you know, they, you know, the base of, you know, Democratic base wants is makes a ton of sense. But to your point, the actual, you know, logistics of this, the one candidate, who has really struggled online is Joe Biden. He's for a long time had a hard time fundraising. And I think this is one of the, his kind of biggest issues. He's still the front runner in a lot of these polls, but it's that does he have the staying power? Whereas you have an Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders who have really built up an army of online donors over the past several years. And, you know, it's coming to coming to roost in the sense that they're able to really raise a lot of money in this non-traditional way. And and they don't have to take themselves off the trail in Iowa or New Hampshire to do it. Anna, thank you so much for taking the time to talk through this stuff. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. 
All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Nerdcast. Stay tuned tomorrow for another special Debate Week episode. And, of course, thank you very much for tuning into this one. Our producers this week are Jenny Ahmed and Annie Reese. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. Thanks so much. We'll see you tomorrow.